right? We got a lot of different things coming at you today, okay? And I'm just sensing a little bit of a lull right now. that. You don't got time that. All right? Let's go. Break it. Break it. Let it cross. Woo! Ladies and gentlemen, can I please have your attention? I've just been handed an urgent and horrifying news story. And I need all of you to stop what you're doing and listen. You're listening to Rock Chalk Sports Talk with Derek Johnson on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. Hey, how's it going? Welcome into another edition of Rock Chalk Sports Talk. Derek Johnson with you here on KLWN. We're going to be joined by Kevin Flaherty coming up at 440. More RCST trivia. The KU Football Edition continues on on day two here. Of that, we've got a couple matchups that'll start at 3.40 and bleed over into the 4 o'clock hour. Right off the bat here, though, today we continue on with our KU football positional previews. And for today's show, we take a look at the defensive end edge position, however you want to call it. Now, what KU does with their defensive ends, um, they kind of have like one guy who they determine is like the strong defensive end. And then they have the the kind of wide edge guy who um, the strong defensive end is, you know, more more involved, I would say, in, in setting the tone for run defense, whereas the wide guy is more of the pass rusher. Obviously, both have similar duties in a lot of ways, but that's one way that maybe they differ just a little bit. Uh, the guy who played kind of that more pass rush role was Kyron Johnson, and that's someone they lose on the edge, and obviously they're going to have to replace. Now, you bring in a really good transfer in Lonnie Phelps. Maybe he can do just that. But Kyron Johnson was awesome last year. Uh, led the team six and a half sacks last season. Got drafted in the sixth round by the Philadelphia Eagles. You look at his pro football focus grade, too. I mean, elite. 81 grade on pro football focus. He was 73 against the run. So, you know, solid there. Um, but he was great as a pass rusher where he earned an 83 pass rush grade. And overall, that 81 grade, to give you some comparison, that ranked him as the third best edge player in the Big 12 last season. Like, you're losing a very good defensive end to a unit that overall, defensively, you struggled last year, and now you're losing that guy as well. Like, that's not easy to overcome. You also lost Steven Parker. He's a former four-star, somebody that you hoped was going to turn into a guy like Kyron Johnson, who eventually was an NFL draft pick, but he never really played much. He, he kind of struggled to gain his footing, and he eventually transferred away. He's now uh, over at Incarnate Word, and honestly, that probably has to make you feel good about because it's one thing when you see a guy transfer away and then he ends up at another Power 5 school, and you're like, man, couldn't have kept this guy. You see him go to Incarnate Word, who was a really good FCS team, but that doesn't make you feel like, okay, we, we lost out on something that we just weren't able to un, find the untapped potential there. Now, as far as what you return, obviously those two guys uh, of note, Kyron Johnson, the one that was playing a lot in a starter for you, you do return a good amount at the edge position. Malcolm Lee is a 6'5", 255-pound super senior from Omaha, Nebraska. This is his fourth year at Kansas after he originally came over from Iowa Western Community College. 
Last year, he started 11 games for you, played in all 12, had 23 tackles, two and a half for loss, one and a half sacks. So not a ton of disruption overall for Malcolm Lee, um, but he was kind of a, a steady rock for you as a starter. He had a 58 grade on pro football focus, something you want to see get up. It was just 55 against the run, 55 as a tackler, and 59 as a pass rusher. And that overall grade of 58, it ranked him 28th among 32 qualified Big 12 edge players on Pro Football Focus. So by qualified, I mean they had to play a certain number of snaps to be qualified. Of the 32, that essentially boils down to three defensive ends per Big 12 team. He was 28th. And if you just think about it like this, if you're just trying to be on par with the other Big 12 teams, you need one guy in or right around the top 10, you need another guy in the top 20, and then you need another guy in the you know top 30 to basically be on par with the other teams, that you would have one of the the 10 for your best and your second best and your third best, right? Uh, but Malcolm Lee was one of your starters. And yes, you had Kyron Johnson, who was good enough to be a, a legit star pass rusher on any of the Big 12 teams. But then you drop off to the 28th best end with Malcolm Lee last year. So you need more there. He is an experienced player. He's played 31 games in his career, 19 starts, has 47 tackles, four TFLs. But you're looking for more production out of him this year. And, and this will be a common question I ask uh, both today with this position and tomorrow with the interior defensive line. You return a lot of guys. You have a lot of older guys. Um, how much improvement is there to be had from guys who are seniors who then become super seniors, right? We see jumps, whether it's it's the growth of the body or just getting stronger, adding weight, understanding the college game when you go from freshman to sophomore, sophomore to junior. But when you're going from senior to super senior, is most of the body done growing? How much improvement is there? Is there just a little bit you can gain from experience, but the jump you can make from one year to the next, is it not as big as other years that you kind of move up there. And if that's the case, KU has a lot of those players. How much improvement can you bank on? But that said, it is nice to have experience. And Malcolm Lee certainly has that. Jeremy Robinson is a six foot three, 255 pound junior from Montgomery, Alabama. Uh, he has played two years. He has three years left to play because one of those years technically doesn't count with the COVID year. Last year, he played nine games, started one of them, had 14 tackles, three and a half tackle for loss a sack, and a forced fumble. He actually graded higher than Malcolm Lee on Pro Football Focus. Now, it was more limited snaps, but 61 grade on Pro Football Focus, 58 against the run, 60 as a pass rusher. He also had a 62 tackling grade, and he ranked 26th among 32 qualified Big 12 edge players on Pro Football Focus. Again, more of an experienced player, had 15 games in his career. Hayden Hatcher, another experienced guy. He is a redshirt senior from Council Bluffs, Iowa. 6'3", 245 pounds. He's actually up 12 pounds from what he was listed as last year. I think technically he actually has this year and one more if he wants to. I'm not totally sure on that. It gets sticky trying to figure out all this COVID year stuff. Uh, but at the very least, you have this year with him. He played in just three games last year. He had six tackles, and he actually graded out pretty well. If I... My memory serves me right. He uh, had some injuries that he was dealing with throughout the season last year. But in the games that he played, he had a 67 grade on pro football focus. He was 66 against the run, 67 as a pass rusher. The big weakness, he just had a 30 grade tackling. So you're looking to shore that up more. But he played less games, played less snaps. It can sometimes be harder to gain your rhythm as a tackler. Just 96 snaps. But so he did not qualify 
for those rankings of the 32 you know, defensive ends, edge rushers in the Big 12. But if you would take that grade that he got on Pro Football Focus, 67 grade, he would be the 17th highest ranked on Pro Football Focus, which, again, that's what I'm saying. If you have one guy who's in the you know top 10, top 8, or whatever, another guy who's in that 10 to 20 range, then that's saying you are on par with the other positions because if everybody has one starting D-end in the top 10, their second starting D-end is in the top 20, right? You're on par with those teams. So that would technically get you there. And maybe you can get more out of a guy who's played 17 games in his career, but not super extensively this season if he can stay healthy. Zion DeBose is a six foot two, 250-pound super senior from Salisbury, North Carolina. He is in his final season after he spent four years at Virginia Tech. Then he transferred over to KU last year. He played in 10 games, had seven tackles, two and a half tackle for loss, sack and a half. He's more of a pass rush specialist, I would say. The overall grade on pro football focus wasn't great last year. It was a 46. A lot of that has to do with run defense. He was just a 35 in run defense, but he was a 60 in pass rush. So he's a guy who's played 16 games in his career. He's logged 20 tackles, two and a half sacks, four tackles for loss. He's kind of a guy who you view as, hey, it's third and six. We need an extra pass rusher on the field or one of our DNs is tired. Go have him rush the passer. He's less of a run defender in that way. Demarion Alexander, 6'5", 245-pound redshirt freshman from China Springs, Texas. He redshirted last year after coming in. He was a three-star recruit. He was top 1,000 recruit nationally. He had interest from Minnesota, Arizona State, Baylor. So he he was definitely a guy that when they got, it was seen as a pretty big get um, for the Jayhawks. And obviously good size at six foot five. Continue to add some weight to that frame for him. I would imagine he's going to be a good player down the road for KU. Then you have Jelani Arnold, six foot two, two hundred seventy-five pound super senior from Irving, Texas. He played in five games last year and recorded just uh, one tackle for his career. He's played in twenty-one games and has recorded three tackles. So he's he's been more of a, a guy to kind of take on a, a blocker or two. And and I don't know technically what the plan is for him if he is, because he might not even classify for this position at the edge if he is more of that defensive tackle. I mean, last year when he came in, it was more of as an interior defensive player, and he is up 10 pounds from what he was last year, so that would maybe lead you to believe that he is going to be an interior defender. I'll just mention him here because he could hypothetically play either spot, I would imagine, on the line. Cole Petrus is the last guy, six foot four, two hundred thirty-six pound redshirt freshman, redshirted last year from St. Louis. Then you go to the newcomers, and the first one that jumps off the page, I brought him up earlier, Lonnie Phelps. He's six three, two hundred forty-five pounds. He's a redshirt junior from Cincinnati, Ohio. He got an eighty-eight transfer grade, which was tied for the best among KU players coming in via the transfer portal. Played three seasons at Miami of Ohio. He has two years left to play came in for spring ball, and in 2021 at Miami of Ohio, he was legit. 13 games played, he had 30 tackles, 13.5 TFLs, 9.5 sacks. I, I think I said he was at spring ball. I, I actually don't remember if that was true or not. Um, but his career at Miami of Ohio, 29 games played, 56 tackles, 18 tackles for loss, 14 sacks. He has more production just by himself with the tackle for loss numbers and the sack numbers than like the rest of KU's returners have in general. He's a two-time All-Mac pick. He was a second-team pick last year at Miami of Ohio. Obviously, you question, how is it going to translate over to Big 12 play? How is it going to translate over to Power 5 play? 
Those are valid questions. By all accounts, it sounds like so far he has been the real deal, but we're going to find out more uh, about how he measures up, I, I think, come fall camp pretty soon here. And, and he's someone that I think there's a lot of pressure on him to be that impact guy right away because of what you lost with Kyron Johnson. You had two other transfers come in, both from the JUCO level. Davion Westmoreland is a six foot three, two hundred forty pound edge from Hutchinson Community College. He uh, was ranked sixty first among JUCO players and eighth among edge players. Although I don't quite understand this because Dean Miller, the other guy they brought in, was given his uh, transfer grade the other day, and he was rated, or, or I'm sorry, Westmoreland was the sixth rated edge. If you look at his like twenty four seven. Recruiting profile, it says he's, yes, yeah, 61st in the country in the 6th-rated edge. Dean Miller comes in, and he's the 59th-rated player, but he's the 8th-rated edge. So I, I don't know how that works or, or if there's a you know typo or, or what in there. But nonetheless, uh, he has three years left for KU. He has four if he redshirts one. I think that could be a distinct possibility. You play him for four games, use him for four games as depth. He's still able to keep a redshirt and have three years left to play. But, you know, this applies, I think, for Dean Miller, who I'm about to talk about here in a second, too. When you bring on a JUCO guy, a lot of the time, you are more bringing them on to make an impact right away. So would it be that surprising if he was part of the mix at defensive end? No, it would not. Uh, last year at Hutchinson, he had 54 tackles, 11.5 tackles for loss, 6.5 sacks on the season. I, I almost wonder if because of the body size, like he's more filled out a little bit more, and based on the production he had last year at Hutchinson Community College, if he's more ready to play right away than Dean Miller, but if Dean Miller maybe has the higher ceiling, which could be why Dean Miller's ranked higher in those rankings, mentioned he's 59th. Miller is a six foot five, 225 pound edge. He's from College of the Canyons, back in my neck of the woods. He was given a 85 transfer grade by 24-7 Sports, and he is in the same boat as Westmoreland. Three years left for KU, but he could redshirt one and play four. So you could play him four games this year, give him the redshirt, and he'd still have three years left to play, which is definitely unique from uh, JUCO players and I think makes them more valuable, and and maybe that's part of the reason why KU decided to, you know, go out and get these kids. Because you're saying, well, if we can get a kid for four years anyway, might as well get the the guy who's closer to being ready or or has this frame or, or whatever it is. As far as projected depth chart, like who is going to play, I think you just assume Malcolm Lee is going to start again at that kind of strong defensive end spot as he did for 11 of 12 games last year. I would just assume Lonnie Phelps is going to start and slide into the spot led by Kyron Johnson. And you don't have as much burst or athleticism or explosiveness as Kyron Johnson with Lonnie Phelps, but I think you probably have more technique and pass rush ability there that I think it's a possibility you get as much production. We'll wait and see. As far as like the edge rushers, we know that's a position where you're going to rotate several bodies. Like It's it's not just going to go on the two deep. You're probably going to see guys on the the third string who rotate in at different points throughout the season at those positions outside of injury just because of dealing with fatigue and everything throughout a game. Jeremy Robinson, I would imagine he's someone who could fill in at, at Malcolm Lee's spot that we'll see him a lot. Hayden Hatcher, I think we'll see a lot. And then I think, like we said, I think we'll see Zion DeBose in certain pass rush situations. Um, as far as those Juco guys, it's, it's tough to kind of figure out what the idea would be there and, and it really is impossible to tell till we get to these you know camp battles and everything in the fall 
But every time, like I said, when you bring in a JUCO kid, you do more so think immediate impact. Otherwise, you think, okay, well, then we'll just go to the high school route. It's different with these guys, as I said, because they have so many years left to play even after coming from high school and that they could redshirt. But would it shock you if Davion Westmoreland was was part of the rotation? Or maybe you just view it as, you know, the two of them are basically one player, right? If you, if you give both players four games so they can both redshirt but still play a little bit, you add it up and that's eight games out of the two of them. It's basically like one third string defensive end who gives you eight games. Like, that could be a possibility as well. And then with Demarion Alexander, I, I would kind of throw him in the category of, like, fighting to carve out a role this year, but clearly having future value. He seems to have athleticism and, and all the tools and, and the frame that you're looking for at that position. Um, But you wonder if, with all the veterans that I named, because, again, like, you have, and this doesn't even count if Jelani Arnold, based on, He's interior, outside, whatever. DeBose is a super senior. Hatcher is a redshirt senior. Robinson is a uh, junior. Malcolm Lee is a super senior. And then you have Lonnie Phelps, who is a redshirt junior, right? There's a lot of experience at those edge positions that might make it a little harder to get playing time right away. Now, if you do get up to being third string at your position, like I said, at that position, you're going to get at least some time on the field. But it'll also be harder to kind of crack the rotation consistently unless you're on that too deep. So from Alexander's perspective, I think if he can crack into some sort of role, if he can make his way onto the too deep, or if he's one of those first guys outside of the too deep where he's still getting some playtime here or there, that would bode well to him in the future because the counter to me naming all those experienced guys at the edge position is that come 2023, you're going to have a lot of openings. You're going to have a lot of guys who depart, graduate, that are going to leave spots open. So, and who knows? Maybe if, if Lonnie Phelps is a great season, it's not like crazy that he would go pro. But at the very least, you're losing Lee, DeBose, and Hatcher. Unless, like I said, if, if I was right that Hatcher has two more years, you still might even lose him at that point. So you're going to lose sizable snaps from this position to where if Alexander impresses, it's not just about trying to crack a, a spot in the row in the two deep this year. It's that if you impress and you lose all those guys next year, maybe you're in line to be in a starter or playing big snaps coming up next year. Um, as far as the key questions for this position, I keep going back to is Lonnie Phelps a star or is he just going to be a solid player for this defense? His pro football focus grade was 84.7. I mentioned Kyron Johnson's was 81, and that was third in the Big 12. So if you just transferred over, you would say Lonnie Phelps is actually slightly better than Kyron Johnson. He did that against MAC competition, though. That's one thing to keep in mind with those pro football focus grades sometimes. They don't, I guess, weigh in who you're specifically going against in terms of, you know, what offensive tackle are you going against? What's their grade? What opponent are you going against? Uh, do you get weighted for playing tougher teams? Do you get weighted for playing the Power Five? Whatever. So that number is different than Kyron Johnson's number. But just in terms of that and in terms of the production, the sacks and everything, you hope that you don't lose something there. And if he comes over and gives you seven or eight sacks and is a star on that D-line, it would go a long way toward KU being more competitive on the defensive side of things. Because I think you look at it, and with a lot of guys returning, adding years of experience, adding a bunch of transfers to the side of the ball – in theory, you should just be saying, 
well, at bare minimum, at every other position outside of where we lost Kyron Johnson, we should be better, right? Now, if Lonnie Phelps comes in and he replaces what Kyron Johnson, what you lost there, now you're cooking. And if he's even better than Kyron Johnson and you get improvements at all these other positions, that's a big deal. And that all kind of comes together for the main thing here. Like, can this unit be more disruptive? Kansas had just 15 sacks last season. That was tied last in the Big 12. And I will say, like, the one thing that we'll say all the time here is that the path to, well, how about instead of just being last by a mile, just at least get up to Big 12 level. You know, don't be the worst by a gap. Be tied with someone else. So they did do that because they were tied with TCU and just one back of Texas Tech, uh, according to ESPN. Though if you go on the Big 12 page, they're one back and seven back of the two. So I don't know the discrepancy between those two sites with classifying sacks or whatnot. Uh, but also if you look at like pro football focus grade for pass rush, because total number of sacks maybe isn't always indicative of the best pass rush or who's seventh best and who's ninth best because teams face a different amount of dropbacks, right? KU was actually ahead of Texas and Texas Tech by a small margin in terms of pass rush grade from last year. But now that you're in line with other Big 12 teams, why not take the next step? Why not jump a few teams and be a better pass rush unit? Um, there was there was a big jump in the Big 12 when you look at this. The bottom five pass rush units, or the bottom four to then the top six, who had 28 or more sacks. And then there was an even bigger jump to number two, Baylor, who had 44. Oklahoma State at number one, an even bigger jump to 57. So there's some big tiers and jumps along the way there, but why not you know, try to get in there? And can the unit be more disruptive? And it's not just the sacks. It's the tackle for losses. It's stopping the run. All of those things matter. Because when you look at the run, this is pretty telling. They had, and this isn't just the edge players. This will go back in line with the interior defenders and, and even the linebackers as well. But KU had just 40 tackles for loss. That's three and a half per game last season. Opposition for Kansas had almost 70 tackles for loss against Kansas. They're averaging about six per game against KU. So you're getting almost doubled up in terms of the disruptive plays you are making. And when you look at drives where there is a tackle for loss, the percentage skyrockets of drives that end up stalling out, punting, kicking a field goal, whatever it is, when you get a tackle for loss. So those plays are very important. But when you look at the numbers over the last three games, Coincidentally, KU's best three games when they won one of them and very easily could have won the other two. Kansas defensively over the last three games got 17 tackles for loss. Opposing defenses got 12. So over the last three weeks, KU actually got more tackles for loss on the opponent than the other way around. And they increased their number from being a team who was getting three or so per game to one that was getting almost six per game. They almost doubled that number. Sure enough, KU was way better over the last three weeks. There's other pieces to that, too. You had Jalen Daniels come in. Uh, you had the team understanding the scheme more. But just by being more disruptive and better on both lines of scrimmage, and here with this side of the ball on defense, that's how they got a lot more competitive. So just another year in the program for most of these players, added weight, all that stuff should be helpful. You also know what's expected scheme-wise. I would imagine emphasizing stopping the run is, has been something all summer. It's an old unit. So 
positive of that is that strength-wise, you should have everything to compete. The negative is that there's maybe is not potential to improve as much from one year to the next. But I, I think overall, the defensive ends are, are going to be just as good, if not better, than last year because I am high on Lonnie Phelps. I think he can come in and replace what you lost in Kyron Johnson. And then if you look at improvement at the other guys remaining, even if it's minimal, I think you can at least get similar, if not better, production than last year. Now, if Lonnie Phelps is a superstar, I mean, it changes everything. If he's a star, I think the defense has a chance to finish it under 30 points allowed per game, which would be a gigantic jump. But even if he's just solid, even if he just comes in and, and helps replace some of that that you lost uh, a big amount with Kyron Johnson, at the very least, this unit should be around what it was last year, which wasn't good enough to be worth much defensively, but based on what it did over the last three weeks, it was good enough to nearly win multiple Big 12 games. This is Rock Chalk Sports Talk on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. I'm Derek Johnson. We'll have RCST Trivia continuing on in about 10 minutes. Did you know that on our website, klwn.com, as well as our sister stations, 1059kissfm.com, bull929.com, we have a program called Hometown Deals. So you click the tab, and it takes you to a magical place where gift cards are 50% off. We have handfuls of different restaurants and places that you can go to that you can get a 50% off gift card to. So just go to the website, click Hometown Deals, and you'll see some of those gift cards for 50% off. If you're a business and interested in being part of this as well and getting featured ads at no cash price and just gift card cost, shoot us an email, djohnson at gpmnow.com. Another day, another couple matchups here for RCST Trivia. We're brought to you by 23rd Street Brewery, Johnny's Tavern, and Jayhawk Trophy, and we can move on to the Tuesday division today. We've got the uh, preseason ninth-ranked team, Ryan Schlesner, and taking on a newcomer to the trivia realm in Brad Wandell. So, Ryan, you've been a mainstay in the basketball event of things. I think you've made the sizzling 16 or further in all three of your years doing that, but this is a new frontier with football. Do you feel more confident in your basketball knowledge or in your football knowledge? Uh, knowledge base, it's got to be basketball. It's just so much easier. Uh, there's, it's, it's out there more. You, there's more media about it. You know, you find 48 pod podcasts about basketball and maybe two about football. Uh, but in terms of my heart, man, I'm a KU football is my number one team, uh, die hard through and through. Just really is going to depend on the questions you get even more in, in this kind of trivia than I think it does for basketball. Well, Brad, you're a newcomer to this event. So how'd you classify your KU fandom and, and what made you want to join this? Well, I've been, I pretty much haven't missed a KU football game since about 2004, graduated KU 2012. I did listen to your podcast when you're doing the basketball trivia, so I thought that was a lot of fun. I feel like in theory, I should do all this. I don't want to get too cocky because I could get hit with an easy question and blow it on the spot. So we'll see how it goes. <laughs> it's a lot easier listening to it and being like, how did you not know the answer? But I, there's something about the pressure when you're in the seat, you know, questions that if I walked by you on the street and asked, you might know, but when you hear the timer going and everything, it it's a little more nerve wracking here on the live stuff. Well, uh, Brad, you're, you're unseated. You're unranked in the preseason top 10 coming into this. Do you, do you feel slighted? Do you feel like uh, you didn't get enough credit for, for the knowledge that you have? Uh, I haven't proven a thing yet, so uh, I just got to go out and show everybody what I got. So, Ryan we're is, all good. is ninth. Is that about right for you? Do you think you should be higher? Do you think uh, you don't even like the pressure of being top 10 in the preseason? Where, what did you think about that ranking? 
water off of my back, man. It could be ranked. I could be unranked. Got to got to knock down the questions as they come to you, regardless of the number next to your name or your opponent's name. All right. Well, uh, enough with the festivities. Let's get into the matchup here. And uh, Ryan, you are the preseason ranked team, so we'll call this your home opener. Uh, I have a coin here. Typical quarter. Heads, tails. I'll give you the call. You want heads or tails? Let's go heads. All right. Heads it is. And heads it comes up with. So you have the option. Do you want to go first or do you want to go second? Uh, Let's go second. Okay. That means, Brad, you are making your trivia debut right here. In the first quarter, these questions worth three points. Brad, how many games did Kansas win in 2021? Two games. That is correct. Two games, two and ten. And the second one was pretty notable. All right, you're on the board with Mm -hmm. an early field goal. Ryan, how many games did Kansas win? In 2020. Big old goose egg. Zero. (laughs) Yes. Sadly, that is correct as well. Zero wins for KU and weren't really particularly close in any of them. I guess the Coastal Carolina one, they kind of were. All right. Onto the medium round, into the second quarter. We're tied three to three. Brad, for you, who is the current KU football offensive coordinator? Oh, my God. I totally should know this. Oh, geez. Mm. Yeah, it's bad. I'm just, I just got to take a loss on it. I got to take a loss. Toss a name out. Sure. Could be anyone. I'm totally drawn a blank. I'm completely blank, man. <laughs> oh! Correct uh, answer. Like, it's Rob Leggins. No, he's gone now. Is, Rob Wiggins. No, well, it is Andy Kotelnicki. Andy Kotelnicki okay. is the name there. Interesting name. All right, Ryan, for you to take the lead in the second quarter and head into halftime, who is the current KU football defensive coordinator? As soon as you asked his question, I, I knew the, o, the OC, and I knew I was going to get the DC question. I'm racking my brain over here. Uh, even with an extra 30 seconds to prep, knowing what the question was going to be. Oof. Uh, 10 seconds. I mean, Clint Bowen used to be a DC. That at least sounds smart. Correct answer is Chris Borland. Chris Borland, the defensive coordinator. All right, 3-3 three to three the score. Tied up. No harm, no foul. Into the third quarter we go. Back to you, Brad. We'll see what halftime adjustments you've made. Who did Kansas lose to 20 to 14 in the 1948 Orange Bowl? Oh, jeez. Um, give me Florida. Not a bad guess. Uh, the correct answer is Georgia Tech. Okay. Georgia yeah. Tech. I don't know. That, if that was a was- tough one. Yeah, Georgia Tech uh, had random years where they've been good and gone to the Orange Bowl. Okay, Ryan, for you to take the lead and head into the fourth quarter. That loss to Georgia Tech was Kansas's lone loss that 1947-48 season. But they did tie twice. Name a team that they tied against that year.
Let's go Missouri. Yeah, not a bad guess because you know they played Missouri. Uh, it was TCU or Oklahoma. Oklahoma and TCU, two teams that tied KU. Otherwise, they were undefeated that regular season. All right, three to three, headed into the fourth quarter. Somebody gets the really hard. That's going to be a big walk-off win for you. Or we could head to our first overtime game. Uh, Brad, this one for you. KU downed Missouri 31-14 to to finish the 2004 season. What quarterback started for the Jayhawks in that game and threw for over 200 yards and two touchdowns? 2004? Yes, sir. I'm going to go with Bill Whittemore. Correct answer is Brian Luke. Okay. Had just kind of a random start in there, did Brian Luke. I think there were some injuries to the quarterback position. Okay, Ryan, chance for the walk-off win here. Otherwise, we head to our first overtime game. Ryan, name this KU player who led the 2005 bull-bound Jayhawks in interceptions with four of them. I think that might have been Tlaib's freshman season, so not a bad guess. Uh, Theo Baines. Theo Baines is the correct answer for 2005. Okay, so we go to overtime. Ryan, you hit the coin toss the first time, so Brad, I'm going to give you the option on the coin toss. Do you want heads or tails? I'll take heads. All right. It is tails. So, Ryan, you've won the coin toss again. You have the option in overtime here. You get to choose if you want to go first or second. Are you clear on the rules here that if you go first, you'll get to pick your first category. If you go second, you can pick to either match it or pick a tougher category. Yeah, are we doing a, like college? If it goes double OT, we flip it. Yes, that is correct. Okay. Uh, I'll go second. Okay. So second again. That means, Brad, you have the option here as you're going first. What category of question would you like to answer? Easy, medium, hard, or really hard? Uh, we'll go tier two, medium. All right, medium it is. Brad, for six points. Name this Jayhawk offensive lineman from 2016 to 2019 who was a sixth-round pick by the Cincinnati Bengals. Akeem Adeniji. That is correct. There you go. Big six points on the board here in overtime. Our first overtime matchup. We're making history here on RCST Trivia. Okay, Ryan, here comes the challenge. Do you go for the medium round category and try to tie it and force double OT, or do you go for the hard question to try to get the win? Go big or go home, right? I'm, uh, I'm going hard. All right, I love it. Ryan, Kansas went 9-1 in the 1968 regular season peaking as high as third in the AP poll before their lone regular season loss, 27 to 23, to who? I know who we lost to in the Orange Bowl, but that's not helpful. Uh, <laughs> Nebraska. It was Oklahoma again. Mm. Oh. Nebraska, good guess, though, because that's, you know, team in the conference and everything. Oklahoma gets you twice. 
Um, so, Brad, congratulations. You start off your trivia career 1-0. You get an overtime victory to boot. What do you think about your first performance here in RCST Trivia? All right, I think we, we've kind of lost connection on Brad there, um, but at least that happened before he was answering some of the questions. Um, no, man, he couldn't have, couldn't have happened two minutes ago. <laughs> <laughs> well, Ryan, I do appreciate the courage to go for the win there. And I will say the beauty of this event, like I've said this to the people who have lost so far, and I'm sure you know it, is that in this event, um, this isn't single elimination. So you're going to have an opportunity here to come back and win your next allotment of games and either still go to the playoff or make a bowl game or something like that. Is that a little bit more calming here? Did that at all play into the decision to try to go big for the win right there? Uh, no, because I look at my division. I think Brad was one of two guys that didn't have a preseason ranking. So it's uh, not that those necessarily matter all that much, but I know the division stacked and uh, coming out with a home opening loss Never what you want, but uh, maybe next week we can go Georgia Tech on somebody and, and avenge the uh, the first disappointing loss of the season where I think KU also scored three points against North Dakota State. So it's lining up. Maybe it's lining up for me. That's right. Maybe you'll get a question uh, dealing with uh, that time frame, that era or something like that. Well, Ryan, I appreciate you joining in on Trivia once again. Um, like I said, football, it's tough, man. It, it's a lot tougher. I, I don't think anybody is going to be throwing stones at, you know, with some of the basketball questions, uh, we get to some that people don't answer right. And it's like, man, you should have known that with the football one. I don't blame any misses because all this stuff is very, very difficult, but, uh, we appreciate you both for joining and, and I think we've got Brad back, Brad, any parting words here? Oh yeah. I was just saying, uh, I was just fortunate that there was a little bit of luck on my side. I think I did. Okay. Not great. Uh, Disappointed I missed the offensive coordinator question, but aside from that, nice to start out 1-0, and best of luck to Ryan the rest of the way. I'm sure I'll see him again. All right. We'll appreciate both you guys, and uh, see you next week. All righty. Thank you. Our first overtime matchup. That was fun. I like that. I like that. It makes it tough where you got to make the decision to go for the win or not. Um, yeah, that's just tough stuff, but congrats to Brad. 1-0 now in uh, trivia. By the way, I should mention this. I've, I've said before, in the group standing. So how it's going to work for tiebreakers head to head will be the first tiebreaker. But if it is a situation where multiple teams are tied, unless the, the one team, you know, if three teams are tied and one of the teams beat both of the other teams, then head to head would apply. But if it's like three teams are tied and we got the old triangle where it's you beat you and you beat you or four teams are tied. And, uh, you know, it's, it's kind of a, a mismatch of, of who beat who with head to head. We're going to go to total points as the tiebreaker but I should mention with that it's going to be based on total points in regulation so we'll keep track of how many points you score with overtime as well but for the the purposes of the tiebreaker it's just going to be points scored in regulation so congrats to Brad gets a top 10 win to start off the year we're gonna have quite the shakeup in the top 10 poll I mean there's no way of knowing actually like who is the top 10 headed into this thing without doing it in the past so uh, that's probably going to be the most shakeup of uh, any poll. We've got one more matchup coming up 
We'll play for you at the top of the 4 o'clock hour. This is Rock Chalk Sports Talk on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. Once again, RCST Trivia is brought to you by 23rd Street Brewery, where you can get dine-in, carry-out, and catering all available. Check out the outdoor patio. Try the Bill Self Mac and Cheese, the Haney Turkey Stack, or any of the great menu items. And don't forget about the 23rd Street Brewery beer, which you can get to go with their Crowlers. Perfect spot to watch all your football during football season. Johnny's Tavern with 12 locations, including the ones right here in Lawrence and in Topeka. And Jayhawk Trophy, who is providing some of our cool prizes, including the championship trophy. This is RCST on KLWN. Depend on it. Second and final trivia matchup of the day features sixth-ranked Justin Nichols and unranked Blake Farrell in the preseason RCST top 10 here for the uh, trivia event. Blake, we'll start with you. You're unranked. Does that give you a little extra chip on your shoulder? Do you feel like you should be ranked headed into this competition? I mean, it's a whole new competition, so I'm, I'm not too worried about it. We'll see. We'll see what happens, and hopefully I can climb up the rankings, but if not, no big deal. Well, we've seen you in the basketball event of things. Um, how would you classify your fandom and your level of knowledge and, and passion for KU football? Um, it's pretty high. I think I'm more of a football than basketball, which is always confusing to some people, but always been a bigger, bigger football fan, but hopefully it translates to this competition. That's been a fun trend. I, I think a lot of the contestants are the same way. They're, you know, it's easier to know the basketball stuff because it is such on a national scene. But a lot of people who are in this are like, but I like football even more than the basketball side of things. To your point, though, it is a lot harder. Uh, Justin, uh, are you the same way? Are you more of a football fan than a basketball fan, even though this stuff is is a little bit harder to know? 100%. Yeah, I am. I, I love uh, as much of a absolute you know, painful experience it is sometimes to be a KU football fan. I love it. and Don't miss any of the home games. Um, have been a season ticket holder my whole life. So um, I'm, I'm, I'm hoping that we just continue to improve. Uh, but, the, yeah, I love KU football even more than even more than basketball. Well, you have a six next to your name, and a lot of that, I'm sure, is is based on the idea you, you finished uh, in third place of the basketball events. So you really showed your – your medal in knowledge there on the basketball side of things. Are, are you worried about um, underperforming your preseason ranking here at all? Uh, for sure. Yeah, I think there's a high probability of public humiliation in this competition. Uh, there's just a lot more. Uh, there, there's, you know, there's there's 22 players instead of five in football. And so there's a lot more places you can take us that I won't know the answers to. Uh, but I, I like to think that I know a lot about KU football history, so we'll we'll give it a shot and see what happens. Well, no, I, I hope nobody feels discouraged with these because, again, like this isn't me trying to just completely stump you. It's just this stuff is harder. It just is. So even if it's a low-scoring game, even if you only get one or two questions right, we've had other matchups like that. It's just it's tougher stuff, but uh, it's, it's definitely unique and it's fun in its own right. So uh, with that said, Justin, you are the preseason-ranked team. Call this your uh, home opener to the season. I have a coin here. It's just a, a traditional... Uh, U.S. quarter, heads or tails on it. I'll give you the call. Do you want heads or tails? Heads. All right. It is heads. So you have the option. Do you want to go first or do you want to go second? I'll go second. Okay. That means, Blake, you are going to be up first. We start in the first quarter of things. This is worth a field goal worth three points. So, Blake, for you to get on the board this season, what school out of the MAC was Lance Leipold coaching at prior to Kansas? Buffalo. Yep, Buffalo, the correct answer there. Prior to that, he was at Wisconsin Whitewater. 
All right, Blake's on the board with a field goal. Justin, see if you can tie him. How many games? I'm sorry. What school was Les Miles the coach of prior to Kansas? Oh, it's you. Yep. Won a national title, as he uh, reminded everyone. Okay. Back to you, Blake, into the second quarter. We're all tied up 3-3 three to three the score. Blake, three KU players have earned a vote for the Heisman Trophy. All of them were quarterbacks, and all of them occurred prior to the turn of the century. Name one of the three. David Janes. That is correct. David Janes, Bobby Douglas, and John Hadle. All of those would have worked there. Kind of surprising that Todd Reesing didn't at least like knock one or two votes there, right? Okay, uh, back to you, Justin, as Blake gets a touchdown but missed the PAT there. Justin, outside of Mark Mangino, KU has three other coaches with 40 or more wins in their time at Kansas. Name one. Jack Mitchell. That is correct as well. Jack Mitchell has 44 of them or had 44 of them. The other answer is we're Doc Kennedy with 52 and Glenn Mason with 47. All right, this is a good matchup here. Nine to nine at halftime. Back to you, Blake, out of the halftime tunnel. Kansas won the 1961 Blue Bonnet Bowl 33 to seven over what opponent? Rice. Woo! Man, not even any deliberation from Blake. He just knows this stuff. Love it. All right, big touchdown there. You currently lead it 16 to 9. Let's see if Justin can even the score. Justin, Kansas lost the 1973 Liberty Bowl 31 to 18 to what opponent? Was it um Is it SMU? Correct answer is a team that KU would again play in a bowl game about uh, 30 years later. That was NC State. NC State, the correct answer. All right, well, the beauty of this, unlike basketball, you're not out of it just yet, Justin. Now, if Blake hits this correct answer, then he would secure the win. Otherwise, you'll have a chance to get the win. But, you know, even if you don't get the win, total points are a tiebreaker in the standings. And, um, you know. There's a lot on the line here in the really hard round. Okay, Blake, for you. This Jayhawk running back broke out as a freshman in 1980 with over 1,100 yards, though would only total less than 900 for his next three seasons. What's his name? Kerwin Bell. <laughs> oh, man. I think Blake's going to skyrocket up those uh, rankings here. I think that he was uh, undeservedly not in the top 10 there. So, Blake, you clinch the win. You get a perfect 24 points in your matchup here. Justin, um, again, you still have something to go for here because total points are a tiebreaker. This isn't just based on one matchup, so you can still work your way back into the playoff or into a bowl game. So there's still something that matters here. Um, obviously, tip your cap to the opponent there. But this one for you. This Jayhawk quarterback. Helped the Jayhawks to a 6-6 six and six record in 1985 thanks to his nearly 3,000 passing yards and 18 total touchdowns. What's his name? Mike Norseth. Got that one in a hurry. 
So, Blake, you end up with the victory here, 24-16. to 16. That was a great matchup overall. If we would have had Justin go first there, it would have added, I think, some more uh, some more drama to your, your having to answer that last question there. 24-17, the final. Uh, Justin, I'll start with you. you. You fall short here, but, you know, you said coming into it you are worried about, you know, maybe embarrassing yourself or getting an egg on your face or whatever. Um, but 17 points, that is the just behind Blake and one of our contestants yesterday, Aaron, that's the third most points we've had through all of our matchups through yesterday and today. So even though you come out with a loss, I, I think you got to feel pretty good about your performance here. I, I do. And I, I regret not having gone first because I would have gotten, I would have gotten the bowl game if I'd, uh, if I'd had that one as well. Um, so that was just, you know, sometimes coaching comes into play and, and that was just a strategic <laughs> blunder on my part, but uh, yeah, no, I feel pretty good about about getting the ones that I got right, and I, I clearly just need to go brush up on my bowl game history, yep. as you know, as limited as it is. Well, like you said, sometimes the order of the questions, you would have had the rice one there, and like I said, you, you can never count yourself out. Like Blake could lose to someone else, you could come back into play here. Who knows? Even if you don't win the division, everything's still in play to make a bowl game or whatnot. Like everything's still in front of you here. It's just a week one hiccup. That said, Blake. This is a nice little advantage for you to get a big win over a big-time opponent in Justin here in week one. What would you think of your uh, first performance here? I was definitely pleased with it. I got the right questions, and I got them all right, so can't beat that. So the one that was missed among all you guys, that that NC State one, would you have known the answer to that one? I actually would have guessed NC State because I saw that we played him twice in bowls, so I just would have probably thrown that out there, so... Well, it sounds like uh, both you guys really know your stuff with KU football. It could be a shame that both you guys are in the same division, but uh, we'll see how this works out and everything. Guys, I appreciate it from both of you, and we'll talk to you both next week. Thank you. Best of luck the rest of the way. You too, man. That was a fun one. High scoring. I mean, what could you – man, that's that's tough. That's tough for Justin because he both those guys were everything except for that one that he missed. It wasn't just that they got the answers. It was they got them right off the bat, including the really hard ones, right? Like those, they nailed them. So uh, Blake, I think, I don't know. Could we have two Blakes competing for a national title with our preseason number two team, Blake McFarland, who was on by this week, and Blake Farrell, who's clearly going to move up into the top 10, maybe the top five in next week's rankings. Justin, I think, will still be a top 10 team. Like he showed himself out well, even in a loss there. 24-17. That was a fun one. That was uh, kind of like the one yesterday between Aaron and Kyle. Uh, good one as well. That is RCST trivia for the day. Once again, we are brought to you by 23rd Street Brewery, Johnny's Tavern, and Jayhawk Trophy. We uh, have some bowl games on the line with gifts to those different places. If you finish in the top three of your division, you're guaranteed a spot in RCST trivia for the football event coming up next year. And I think both those guys are uh, going to be in a good position to do one of those two things. This is Rock Chalk Sports Talk. We're going to be joined by Kevin Flaherty coming up here in about 15, 20 minutes from right now here on FM 1017, 1320 KLWN. We'll be right back after this. This is Rock Chalk Sports Talk 20 till 5 here on KLWN. Joined now on a Tuesday by Kevin Flaherty of 24-7 Sports. Was just talking uh, on the other end before we get into the KU football about Ohio State Athletic Director Gene Smith's comments and, and kind of discussing a 16-team playoff and that he was saying that's what he's hearing around his circles, which I find funny because, you know, that's that's not really something that I feel like has been brought up in terms of, like, the media circles or anything, which tells me the circles he's hearing it 
are from other athletic directors and people of power and everything, which tells me maybe there is some credence to it. Uh, so what would your thoughts be on potentially jumping all the way from four to 16 teams, Kevin? I think it's too many, honestly. I, you know, we've talked on this show before where I think four is probably a little bit too small. And the reasons why I believe that in that I think that there are some teams that head into a season where you can say, hey, even if you win every single game on your schedule, you're not going to the college football playoff. And I'm not saying that every undefeated team needs to get in. You know, if a team goes undefeated, they're still, you know, ranked around 14th in the country because of how easy the schedule is. I don't think it's a situation where they need to get in. But I do think that you need to have a mechanism for for teams like, you know, UCF a few years back and, you know, those Boise State teams and teams like that where they can legitimately compete with some of the best teams across college football. And I think the other thing is, well, we want the regular season to still mean a lot because I think that that's what sets college football apart from just about everything else is how much pressure there is on every regular season game. But if we're being honest, Derek, right now it doesn't mean that for SEC teams. You know, you can lose a game and you can make the college football playoff. If you're the right team and have the right schedule, you could potentially lose two games and reach the college football playoff, whereas for teams in other conferences and even teams in certain other Power Five conferences, you have that one loss, and there's a chance that that you aren't going to make that Final Four. And so I'd rather see it at six or or eight. I think that, you know, maybe you need to study a little bit and see, you know, sort of what the sweet spot is at that point, eight would would be like the upper limit, I would feel like, because that would still give a team that's really good that, that maybe doesn't catch its footing early in the year. You know, a, a team that, that kind of jumps to mind, Derek, is like a 2002 USC, where they weren't the same team at the end of the year that they were at the start. You know, you could possibly even go back to Oklahoma, a couple of years back when Spencer Rattler was in his first year as a starter. and I always think went, of 2007 what, like Georgia. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, you, you look at teams like that, that at the end of the year, you're not entirely sure that's not the best team in the country, and yet potentially you're, you're left out of a, a four-team playoff. And so I do think that there's something to be said for that. But once you start getting into the, the 11th best team, the 13th best team, I think in most of those cases, we can all look at it and say almost collectively as a group, you know, there's not a team there necessarily that can legitimately compete for a national championship. And so at that point, I think you're just creating fodder. Yeah, I, I agree. I would honestly, if you gave me the option of going back to the BCS or going to 16, I would I would go back to the BCS in a heartbeat. 100, 100% every time. Yeah, yep. absolutely. Uh, so I, I did want to go through some KU football stuff and I wanted to go through some of the offensive stuff. And, and we talked the other week and how, you know, it wouldn't be crazy if Jalen Daniels ended up being a, a top half of the league quarterback in the big 12. Um, if you had to divvy out where the running back position would be in the big 12, what, would that be in the top half for the, uh, among big 12 teams with, with where KU's at right now? I would think so. And it, it's funny because I think that, that's something that maybe if you ask somebody outside of Lawrence, they, they wouldn't recognize. As a matter of fact, 
I'm not trying to throw anybody under the bus here, but I was uh, I was talking to our Oklahoma guy yesterday or the day before, and you know, recruiting rankings aren't everything, and I may get fired for saying that, but <laughs> you know, but when you look at it, recruiting rankings are I feel like when you look at them not just on an individual basis, but use them in the broader perspective of trying to determine raw talent, you know, coming in, going out, et cetera. Kansas has three four-star running backs on its roster. And, and I told our Oklahoma guy that, and I, you know, you could almost hear the disbelief in his voice. <laughs> and, and to put that into perspective, Derek, there's only one Big 12 team that has a five-star running back, and that's Texas with B. John Robinson. Other than that one single player, there isn't a single other running back ranked above a four-star ranking. And Kansas has three of those guys. Wow. When you look at Devin Neal, when you look at Ty Thomas, and both of those guys are, are proven at the college level in addition to their recruiting ranking. You know, they rushed for, what, over 1,500 yards combined last year. You know, when you look at, at what Ty did at, at Minnesota and what Devin did at Kansas, and then you add in Savion Morrison, who was a four-star running back, actually led the state of Oklahoma in rushing as a junior. And, and the guy that maybe everybody sleeps on that they shouldn't because the recruiting ranking isn't there is Daniel Hyshaw. You know, he was a guy who had to play as a freshman with all the injuries and everything that Kansas had, ran for 87 yards against Texas Tech. And so if you're talking about your third or fourth best running back being a guy who can trot in and almost run for 90 yards in a game like that. You know, and if you remember right, I, I think Derek wasn't Kansas missing two or three offensive line starters in that game too. Well, and they were just passing all over the field. They had over 400 yards passing, so it's not like they had to keep running the ball. And the other part of it that, that we haven't talked about is Highshaw was a high school quarterback, so he's a guy who was a quarterback who transitioned to running back, and in his first year on a Division One football field, runs for almost 90 yards in a Big 12 game that, that Kansas almost won. I, I feel like we should we should note, and you know he missed last year with an injury, and so I feel like he's almost this forgotten guy among that group because the other guys were more highly touted as prospects, and yet. There have been some years, I feel like, where if you trotted Daniel Hyshaw out as your primary back with as good as Hyshaw is right now, you know, in this moment, what is it, July 26, 2022, he would be a solid, you know, number one running back for Kansas. And here we are talking about him potentially being the third or fourth best guy. And so it's not just that Kansas has you know, the guys at the, at the top of the line, which they do have, when you look at proven guys and, and former top prospects, it's the depth of guys that Kansas has. And so when you look at where they were at, literally the last time we saw Kansas, you know, take the field against West Virginia, where you had all those injuries and, and really didn't have any backup running backs, even behind, you know, the the backup who started, you know, all of a sudden Kansas is in a drastically different position, especially if you want to run the, the ball the way that Kansas and Lance Leipold want to run the ball. Yeah, and I mean, like, I, I, I don't know. Like, I, I wonder how much that impacts things because I think back to, for instance, the year where Kansas had, like, Puka Williams and, and Khalil Herbert, but then Khalil Herbert transfers away, so he didn't really get a full season there. But theoretically, that would be a top half of the league uh, sure. 12 unit, and it didn't 
like how much winning did it impact at Kansas? Not a ton. You could say they were more competitive and there's other pieces around it, but I, I don't know. It's just kind of interesting. But when you pair together, possibly having a top half of the league quarterback with a top half of the league running back, it's and then like I guess the next spot I want to get to is the offensive line. Um, that obviously would not be a top half of the league unit with the offensive line. They played better over the last end of the season. So I, I guess where would you stack up that offensive line, and where do they probably need to be for us to at the end of the season feel like the quarterbacks and running backs produced enough to make you think they are top half of the league positions? Sure. I, I don't think that the offensive line is top half, like you said, but I do think that it's something that Kansas should feel positively about going into the season, both because of the growth that, that those guys made over the course of the season and the fact that you bring back four guys who started last year. And then, you know, in Armaj Reed Adams, you have a guy who has starts under his belt in the past. So even even the one quote-unquote new guy, it's not like he's trotting out there without any any experience. And, and it's funny because, Derek, you, you were there for the season opener against the SCS team last year. Yeah, South Dakota. South Dakota. Kansas gets pushed around in the trenches mm-hmm. in that game. And when you went on and looked throughout the season, and this is one of the things I thought was, was interesting that our Oklahoma guy did mention to me, was he said, Kansas pushed Oklahoma around a little bit in that game. Everybody talks about the final three games, but he was saying, yeah, you know, Oklahoma was going through issues. You can say Oklahoma wasn't, you know, fully into it or whatever, but how many times has Oklahoma played Kansas, not been fully into it, and won by 35 points, and Kansas couldn't block Oklahoma anyway? <laughs> and so, you know, and so I think that there you do have positive – you feel like there's positive momentum there and, and positive momentum heading into conditioning and, and now into fall camp because of the way those guys really improved over the course of the season. I thought they played more physically. I thought they played a lot less tentatively and it wasn't the tentativeness wasn't something early on. It, it was learning assignments, right? Because they didn't have, they didn't have an off season. Like the second they hit fall camp, yeah, you're usually deciding these guys are going to be on the football field in our first game, but your systems are usually already all put in, and that wasn't the case for Kansas. And so you started to see guys knowing where they were going and getting there more confidently. And so I think when you head into year two and everybody sort of knowing what the expectation is, knowing the plays, knowing where they're going, you know, you could even see a a further jump out of those guys heading into the season. And so they don't necessarily – have to be a a top half offensive line in the Big 12 for Kansas to be effective. But I do think we've talked in the past about how Kansas at quarterback a lot of times has been picked, you know, 10th with a bullet, like not just 10th, but my gosh, how could you even consider Kansas for ninth? And and I think that if the offensive line is in a position where it's not 10th with a bullet, where you know, somebody says, hey, this may be the seventh best offensive line in the Big 12 or whatever. That may be good enough in order for those skill position guys to be able to have the kinds of seasons that you're talking about. Yeah, I just, like, I look at the running back specifically, and, and if their blocking is like they had it in the first half of the season or so when they weren't getting any separation, 
you can have the best running backs in the world, and, and it's not really going to matter in terms of the yards that you gain and everything. But one thing I was looking at earlier today, and this kind of goes in line with you know, the, the defensive line as well as the offensive line, kind of uh, at both ends of the line of scrimmage. But over the first nine games of the season, uh, KU opponents had 57 tackles for loss. KU had just 23 from their defense. So that's bad for both the KU offensive line and uh, the KU defensive line. And over the last three games, KU got 17 tackles for loss. So almost what they did in the first nine games from the defensive line. And they gave up just 12 in the last three games offensively, which is obviously a lot less. Uh, how much do you put into maybe the schedule being a little bit lighter over those the last three games with you know TCU and West Virginia, who uh, TCU I don't think was a bowl team. West Virginia was you know barely a bowl team. Texas obviously was not a bowl team versus KU just finding some sort of success with the new scheme, and, and can that carry over into this year? Sure, I, I think that it's a little bit of both because I think that there were even, even though the scoreline got away, I think there were some positives up front even against Kansas State. And I know there are probably going to be some people who just flipped off their radios right now and are never going to listen to you again because I said that. But if you actually like go back and watch the tape of that game, there were actually some positives up front on both sides of the ball where you could say, hey, wait a minute, like this, this is a matchup where, I mean, yes, Kansas State has Deuce Vaughn, but beyond that, wouldn't you say that Kansas State last year, at least, was primarily known for its strength up front on both sides of the ball? Yeah. And so for Kansas to have its moments against an offensive line like that, and I'm not going to say it's good enough, and Lance Leipold you know, sort of famously always says there aren't moral victories and things like that. I'm just saying they were showing those flashes. They were having those moments against better competition toward the end of the year. And then it did happen that, yes, they played some teams that, that maybe weren't playing as well, and they were able to, to kind of capitalize it and actually show it on a more consistent basis. So I do think it's a little bit of both, honestly. Talking with Kevin Flaherty for a few more minutes here of 24-7 Sports. If I told you that KU is going to make a bowl game this season, write up the story, write up what that looks like, the, the road to that fun fantasy in my mind, whether it's you know from a standpoint of this would have to go right for Kansas to this is who they would have to beat. What would that look like for Kansas to get to six wins? Well, I think he, here's the thing, Derek, is we can – put out a very realistic scenario where Kansas is three and one coming out of September. We can because Kansas can beat Tennessee tech and Kansas can beat Duke and there's two. And then Kansas can split Houston and West Virginia. And the West Virginia game last year was, was really close. I know West Virginia added JT Daniels, but you could argue that Kansas did more to improve over this offseason than West Virginia did over this past offseason. And so if Kansas can get to 3-1 and one through September, I think, you know, the main thing everybody will want to say is, well, you're not, you know, you're only three wins away from bowling. But I think you also, in college football, have to account for forward momentum and confidence. And I think that a team that ends September 3-1 and one, isn't super likely to just go ahead and lose its next eight games. And so, you know, you're looking at a team that last year, it, without too much imagination, could have won four Big 12 games. And I'm not saying they should have, 
I'm just saying, you know, if not for a miraculous Caleb Williams play, I think we can say that <laughs> Kansas was sitting there on, on pretty good odds to to take that thing against Oklahoma. And you look at the two games that ended the season against TCU, you know, you, you have, I think, a halftime lead and, and Devin Neal goes out. And, and so, you know, if you have a healthy Devin Neal over those last two games or or even, you know, a healthy Daniel Hyshaw or, or somebody like that, they were so down at that running back position. Maybe Kansas gets those two games. And so I'm not saying Kansas is going to win four Big 12 games. I'm just saying to say that if Kansas starts 3-1, and one, it could find a way to win three other conference games. It might not be as crazy as it sounds. I think a bowl game would probably be on the extreme upper edges of what I, I would think. Uh, but at the same time, if you have that strong start, if guys are playing with confidence and, and everything else, I, I do think that there's there's a chance there, and there are some intriguing opponents after that first uh, after that first month. You know, Iowa State has a lot of talent that's in its younger classes, and so what's Iowa State really going to look like? Texas Tech has a new coach. You know, what do you what are you expecting? To see there, I don't think anybody knows really what to expect from TCU after the way last year ended up and getting a new coach in Sonny Dykes. I like Dykes, you know, eventually to to kind of think, get things going at TCU. I mean, he was right across the the Metroplex and everything there. But when he succeeded at SMU, but what about for this year? And, and so there are teams there with questions that don't have everything figured out where you could say, hey, if, if Kansas can get a little momentum, get a little confidence, start out 3-1 and one or, or, you know, go out of its way and start off 4-0, and oh, you know, you're, you're probably looking at a, at a team that may win a couple more games and put itself right on that cusp of bowl eligibility. All right, Kansas receiving votes after 4-0, and oh, and uh, the season is on <laughs> and they make a bowl game. And Lance Leipold... It's uh, Big 12 Coach of the Year recognition. There's the uh, fantasy in your head right there. Kevin, I appreciate you taking some time out of your day and hopping on as always, man. All right. Thanks a lot, Derek. All right. That's Kevin Flaherty, 24-7 Sports. This is Rock Chalk Sports Talk. Training camp has started up for the Kansas City Chiefs. It started up yesterday, although uh, not to like a you know huge extent or anything, but they're going to start getting the ball rolling. I, I think the first preseason game is closer than you'd think. It's like, August 13th or something like that, like two and a half weeks away. Um, we're going to have KU football camp coming up soon, and we'll get a bunch of audio from that. So it's exciting. Football's in the air. That's for sure. As far as the Chiefs go, you know, there, there are several positions where it's interesting to see what the position battle brings. Like, obviously, a quarterback, like you know it's going to be Patrick Mahomes. Um, along most of the offensive line, you know what it's going to be. The Orlando Brown, uh, I guess, decision to sit out for training camp maybe adds a new wrinkle in the left tackle and, and I guess there's maybe a battle at right tackle between like Mike Remmers and Darian Kennard who you drafted in the fifth round and, and think that maybe he could be kind of what Trey Smith did this past season obviously there's there's going to be position battles with the rookies and and what does the secondary look like and stuff but as far as the most interesting position battle to me it has to be the receiver position again like maybe you throw in the running backs like could Ronald Jones beat in beat out Clyde Edwards-Alaire what's Jarek McKinnon the role going to be in the offense. What about Isaiah Pacheco and Derek Gore? Like stuff like that. But the receivers are the one for a couple of reasons. One, in terms of 
it, it's not just that you don't really know who the number one is. You don't really know who that like you don't know who any of the the one through four are in what order. With some of the other positions, you maybe at least know like what this guy is. But on top of it, it's the importance of that position and gelling with your star quarterback. Like passing offense is clearly going to be a big thing in an Andy Reid offense, let alone one quarterback by Patrick Mahomes. And that does take away some of the anxiety of it, the idea that you do have both of those guys. You know, with Andy Reid, he's been uh, such a good tactician on the offensive side of the ball. And you look back to some of those years with like Donovan McNabb and the Eagles and stuff, and it's not like they just had this overwhelming receiving core outside of the year that they had like Terrell Owens necessarily. Um, so they've gotten it done. And, and even in some years with the Chiefs, right? Like you think back to when it was like Jeremy Macklin and, and nobody else for the Chiefs as far as the receivers. Like the, uh, he is good enough that they'll find ways to get it done. But taking them from just being good enough to all of a sudden having a really good unit or to having guys that can help Patrick Mahomes foster an MVP type season that's what you're kind of looking for there. Um, and having Patrick Mahomes as well, like that does help to get the best out of whatever you're going to get out of that receiver position. But you look through all those guys, and it's tough to kind of figure out like who that number one is going to be. And maybe it's a conversation that doesn't really matter. Maybe it's a conversation more about, hey, Travis Kelsey is the true number one in the receiving game on the offense. Outside of that, everybody else is just kind of playing a role. Right, like Juju Smith-Schuster, he's a guy who, you know, at certain times he'll be the number one and he'll be our mostly intermediate receiver. Uh, we can play him in the slot. We can play him on the outside. Marquez Valdez-Scantling, your role, you're going to play on the outside. You're mostly a deep ball threat, but uh, maybe we'll hit you with the occasional comeback because if a defense is playing off you on a deep ball, something like that. Sky Moore, your role. You're playing on the, the inside. You're a slot guy. You're catching short passes. passes you're catching uh, passes in traffic. Um, McCole Hardman, like we're going to use you in screens. We're going to use you in jet sweeps. We're going to use you on deep balls to try to blow the lid off of the defense. Like all of you guys have your specific roles, have your specific niches, have your specific things that you're good at. And we're going to try to take advantage of those things by highlighting those and uh, really letting those speak to the kind of player that you are and, and what we want from you in this offense. And that all makes sense to me. It just it's tough to not envision at least one of those guys breaking out ahead of the rest. And I don't necessarily mean that one of those guys is going to go for 1,200 yards or put up Tyreek Hill-like numbers. It's just hard to envision that, yeah, all four of them are going to have 600 yards between 600 and 700 yards, and that not at least one of them would be like, no, he, he had 900, he had 1,000 yards. Like He ended up being the, the guy that, that found that connection. Through reports and, and things like that, it sounds like Marquez Valdez-Scantling is kind of gelling very well with Patrick Mahomes, but he has been more of that deep threat and hasn't shown more of that intermediate stuff when he was with Aaron Rodgers and the Packers. And that kind of makes me think that Juju Smith-Schuster is going to be the guy. Now, now, I know a lot of people are very high on what Sky Moore is and could become. I kind of wonder if that's more of a, a more long-term thing. And you look at the receiving core next year, if we want to look down the road at that, Juju Smith-Schuster is a free agent at the end of this season. McCole Hardman is a free agent at the end of this season. If if you're to get the type of production that I'm talking about there from Marquez Valdez, Scantling, and Sky Moore, or just one of the two, that's going to make you feel a lot better about the receiving core headed into next season when you're going to have more holes, more openings, and trying to figure out what you're going to do with that position, that if one guy emerges himself, it becomes a lot easier to find the other pieces around them. Or if both, then that's even better for you. 
but I kind of view it as as Juju Smith Schuster as being that top guy, and Valdez Scantling more as being the deep threat. Sky Moore being the underneath threat and kind of growing uh, into his rookie role. McCall Hardman, to me, is kind of what we've seen so far. I know there's been a lot of talk about, you know, now that Tyreek Hill's gone, like he's going to fill into some of that role, and and that's why you drafted him to begin with because you weren't totally certain on what you were going to get out of Tyreek Hill. But I just I think we've seen enough there from McCall Hardman, even in games where Tyreek Hill has been injured or out or drives where he's been injured and, and been on the sideline. But that's not really what McCall Hardman is, that he's going to do all those things that Tyreek Hill did from an intermediate and short route game, from a, from a, you know just catching short passes. He is more of a gadget receiver, a jet sweep receiver that can use his speed or receiver screens or the occasional deep ball downfield, which Tyreek Hill was just better at tracking down those deep balls, even if the speed is is somewhat similar between the two guys. They're, they're completely different players. So I'm not really buying into the hype that McCall Hardman's going to have this breakout season just because of the opportunity. I think he kind of is what he is, and the Chiefs know that. If I'm going with the highest ceiling among those three receivers this year, I guess I would go Marquez Valdez-Scantling. If I'm going with the highest floor, I'm going Juju Smith-Schuster, and then Sky Moore somewhere in between with McCall Hardman being kind of the, the gadget receiver. That's kind of how I view it. I think we've seen enough there to expect that. But that is the position that I'm most curious to see how it forms together, how it works in tandem with Patrick Mahomes, with the offensive Andy Reid. Is it truly going to be a rotation between the four of them to where it really is split amongst all four is it okay if if that's the case like can you be as successful as an offense as the Chiefs have been with that being the case I think you can because you have Travis Kelsey to really lead the way as far as you know receptions and and receiving yards and everything goes Uh, but how much does it hurt you not having the true number one receiver or will one of those guys emerge and if that does, how much does that change the offense? And and furthermore, having multiple guys that can do different things as opposed to last year where it was more of, you know, we have Tyreek Hill, we have McCole Hardman, they can blow the lid off the defense. We don't really have that true possession receiver. Now you have a possession receiver in Juju Smith-Schuster, and it's Sky Moore. Maybe Marquez Valdez-Scantling has that in him. We just haven't seen it in Green Bay. That you have at least a little different pieces. You have players that can fit into different roles, I think, better this year than you did that last year, even though the talent is superior last year to what it is this year. This is Rock Chalk Sports Talk on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. We're going to take a timeout when we come back. RCST replay, that coming up next.